let's pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that your word might speak powerfully to us now. Uh, Help me in my human weakness to preach it faithfully as I ought. Uh, Help us to understand what you are saying to us. Uh, Remind us afresh of how good it is to follow Jesus and make us by your spirit to be like our Saviour, especially in our love for one another. Amen. Uh, Sometimes it takes a moment of crisis to remind you how deep your love for someone truly is. Uh, I discovered this uh, when our family experienced a small crisis up in northern New South Wales at the start of the year. Uh, Me and my family got trapped when the border closed in a horribly good location, Um, so that was kind of a shame. Uh, But while we're up there, one of our daughters, who shall remain nameless, uh, became lost from our sight while playing at the beach for maybe around sort of 60 to 90 seconds. Now, that might not seem like a long time to some of you, but in the land of a panicking parent, that's like 60 minutes. It's a lifetime. Uh, We actually still don't know what exactly happened in that moment, but in a moment of mutual distraction, Ruth and I realised one of our daughters, who had just been by our side, was suddenly missing. We couldn't see her anywhere in the water. Uh, We couldn't see her anywhere on the beach. There are only a few families there. And so the confusion suddenly turned into panic. I quickly picked up another one of our children who was with me, and I just started running with her under my arm, up and down the beach, yelling out for my lost daughter at the top of my lungs. No response. And so with this child now crying in my arms, I yelled louder. The sound of my voice started to take on that kind of crazy pitch, if you've ever heard that. Uh, All all sorts of horrible thoughts started sweeping through my mind. My anxiety in that moment was just through the roof. Where is she? What has happened to her? Is she okay? And then I saw her, or at least the top of her head, sitting in a giant hole in the sand (laughs) that another family had dug earlier. And so it would seem that uh, in just at the wrong moment, uh, she had bolted from the water and ran for that hole. And there she had just sat down happily and started playing. The relief I felt in that moment was just unimaginably good. All my fears and anxieties sort of washed away in a moment. Uh, we knew she was safe. We all ran to her and with arms of deep love, just hugged her. Now I'm sure most of you understand uh, that a parent would have that kind of deep and powerful love for their own kid, right? But what I find just so gripping about tonight's passage is the way in which you see that deep, almost family kind of love going on between believers in Jesus, In fact, in tonight's passage, Paul walks us through a moment of crisis in his experience in which we are able to see his deep love for the Thessalonian believers and see it on full display. Uh, But this is not just a, a description of deep love that we are to admire. We are called to reflect this kind of love and relationship in our church community. 
You actually see it there uh, in the end of our passage uh, in Paul's prayer. Just jump down and look at verse 12. Paul writes, May the Lord make your love, Thessalonian church, your love, Bundura Presbyterian church, increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. See, God doesn't just want us admiring the love and relationship we see in this passage. He actually wants us to emulate it. And so what I want to do tonight is to look at Paul's love and affection for the Thessalonians as he describes his crisis, his painful separation from them, his overwhelming anxiety for them, and finally his wonderful relief of good news about them from Timothy's report. And after that, we'll actually spend a little bit of time just thinking about how this passage actually helps us cultivate a a kind of culture of love and connectedness among us. So first, let's have a look at the painful separation that Paul speaks of. Uh, If 2020 uh, taught us anything, it was just how painful it is to be separated from those you love. Uh, Perhaps for you, it was your parents who you were separated from. Uh, Maybe it was a sibling. Uh, For many of you, I'm sure you felt the separation uh, of not being with your Christian brothers and sisters. In fact, I heard a number of you saying the same comment throughout last year. Live stream and Zoom are good, and I know I should be thankful for them, but it's just not the same. See, it's just easy to feel a sense of connectedness when we're physically together. We can see people more easily, get a better idea of how they're going. We can read their body language. Um, We can kind of have those moments of deeper conversation over supper or as we walk back to our car to go home. Being separated from each other was, and remains for some of you watching on live stream, very tough. And you see, it was tough for the Apostle Paul who writes this passage when he was separated from the Thessalonian believers who he had come to love deeply. Uh, Last week we heard about Paul's ministry in the ancient city of Thessalonica and the persecution he experienced there and then the sudden departure from that city as a result. And this was a sudden and painful departure for Paul. There was no phone to call that group of believers on in the aftermath. Uh, Paul and his team couldn't just log on to the following Sunday live stream of Thessalonica Presbyterian Church. Paul had been totally cut off from the community which he had grown to love. And you can actually hear his anguish. Open your Bibles if you haven't already and just look at chapter 2, verse 17. Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. See, look at the language Paul uses here. Orphaned. Uh, Some translations have torn away, but orphaned is actually a good translation of the Greek. Such is Paul's love for these believers that he kind of conjures up the image of a, a child being torn away from their parents. And as I've already highlighted in my introduction, that sort of child-parent type love is powerful. And you see it continue though, don't you? He speaks of his intense longing for these believers and repeated attempts to get back to them. 
Now, we don't actually know how Satan actually blocked Paul from coming back. We're not told. But what we do get a very clear sense of here is Paul's love and affection for his friends. But actually, these people are more than friends of Paul. They're kind of like family. Uh, You can almost imagine Paul, uh, almost like a proud dad, right, pulling out a photo of of his of these believers from his wallet and just showing it off to people who he came across his way. Uh, they, along with so many other believers, had almost become like Paul's pride and joy, which is basically what he starts to call them in verses 19 to 20. Did you notice that? For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. It's like Paul is saying, on that last day, when Jesus returns, we, we can almost point to you guys who will be there with us and say, look at the gift God has given us and given our ministry in Thessalonica, the hours of preaching and teaching we put in there, the painful persecution we went through. It was all worth it to see you, our friends, standing here in glory, saved and now changed by the gospel of Jesus. Your salvation is what we glory in. Your lives are what gives us joy. And maybe you've felt that love and affection for someone who has come to know Jesus through your sharing of the gospel with them. Maybe you know the joy of knowing that person will now join you in glory one day. See, Paul's love for this church can be heard in his account of the painful separation he experienced from them. Uh, But the picture of love only intensifies as we hear Paul talk about the overwhelming anxiety beyond that separation. So let's think about point two, the overwhelming anxiety. Uh, When my wife and I became separated from our daughter at the beach, I know my anxiety just went through the roof. Uh, In that moment, nothing else mattered to me other than her well-being. Uh, Maybe you've experienced a similar feeling of anxiety for someone you deeply love, right? Uh, in, In that kind of moment, you're inclined to do things that you wouldn't normally do, and things you once treasured just don't sort of seem as important anymore. You can willingly let go of them for the sake of the one you love. Uh, For me, you see, in normal circumstances, I actually don't like being thought of as a crazy person. Um, But when we lost our daughter briefly... I just let go of that pride. I was running around frantically yelling at the top of my voice, head darting in all directions. And afterwards, my other daughter kind of let me know how weird it all looked. (laughs) She reminded me that other people had seen my weirdness. Now, mine's an extreme example, but the principle holds true. When you really love a person or a group of people and you're anxious for their well-being, well, you tend to let go of things you normally treasure in order to help them. could be time, could be money, could even be your reputation. And this was certainly the case for Paul. See, in his love of 
and anxiety for the Thessalonians, he lets go of his most treasured friend and partner in the gospel, Timothy. He would be left alone in his worry, in his mental exhaustion, so that actually they could be looked after. See, look at his words in chapter 3, verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, when we were sick with worry, uh, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. It's like Paul is saying, I just could not stand it any longer. I had to know that you guys were okay. That's why I sent you my most faithful friend and co-worker. See, Paul had seen firsthand the fierce opposition to the gospel in Thessalonica. He had heard the angry shouts of a mob out to get him and the other believers. He knew the temptation was real for these believers to abandon their faith in Jesus under pressure. But you see, he equally knew that to throw away your faith in Jesus is actually to throw away any hope of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Christianity is about hanging on to Jesus till the end. We have the joy of watching a recorded video from Raylene and Harold, an older couple who have been live streaming our morning service since March last year. We had this video play this morning. Uh, Today is Ray's 90th birthday. And in the video shown this morning, Ray spoke about uh, what it's like to follow Jesus for decades, how good it is to know him, and what she is looking forward to about heaven. And on that final point, uh, Ray said, I don't know what heaven holds for us or whether I'll see all my friends. But the main thing is to see Jesus and to get home safely. See, the main thing is to get to heaven safely, to get home safely. And that kind of is the main thing, isn't it? That's why we keep holding on to Jesus, God's saviour of a sinful people. He's worth holding on to. Ray knows that. And Paul knew that. And that's why he's so anxious to find out about the Thessalonians' faith amidst the opposition they were facing. He continues in verse 3, For you know uh, quite well that we were destined for them, the persecutions he'd just been talking about. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when we could stand it no longer... I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and and that our labours might have been in vain. You see, because Paul loved these believers, while he was with them, he actually kept telling them that they would be persecuted, not to scare them, but to prepare them. He wanted to equip them to have a faith in Jesus that was robust that could go the distance in the face of real hardship and opposition. You see, and we need to remember what Paul says here. Uh, If you follow Jesus, you will be persecuted at some level, at some point in time. Uh, Jesus often reminded his disciples of that. 
And see, in one sense, that kind of makes sense. We live in a world which we're told in God's word is in rebellion to God. It is a world that almost at a core human heart level hates the idea that God should be the ruler of our life and that that he should call the shots in our life. So when we become one of God's people through faith in Jesus and when we start affirming God's right to rule as well as his great power to save, we become caught up in the world's opposition to God. Jesus himself says in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, you would, uh, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why it hates you. Now, maybe for us, persecution um, doesn't happen in the kind of violent, mob-like way that it did in Thessalonica. Uh, but perhaps it does come, as Andrew sort of touched on last week, in sort of more forms of social ostracism, online abuse, or ridicule, or anger and exclusion from a family uh, that disapproves of your perhaps new faith. And I know some of you have actually gone, uh, been through that. But notice Paul's response here is not, all right, what can we do to get these people I love out of these trials, but who can I send to make sure they endure through these trials? You see, Paul knows, and we actually must become convinced of this too, that enduring in our faith in Jesus through the pain of persecution is worth it. And I say this to those of you who aren't Christian as well. Faith in Jesus is worth it. You see, forgiveness of sins that comes through faith in Jesus is worth it. Peace with the holy God is worth it. The hope of heaven and resurrection life is worth it. Only Jesus, through his death for sin, through his powerful resurrection, gives those blessings to us. We let him go, we let them go. The main thing is to see Jesus and to get home safely. Because Paul deeply loved these believers, he was anxious to know that they were not throwing away eternal glory, letting go of Jesus for temporary relief from pain of persecution. And you see, thankfully, by God's mercy, Paul gets good news. We see that in the last section, the wonderful relief he speaks of. Now, when you're anxious for the well-being of people you love, the relief of good news is just wonderful, right? And maybe you've felt that relief that comes when a family member receives kind of a good report or a negative test from the doctor, Maybe you have felt that relief that comes when a friend who is kind of in a toxic relationship makes the call to end it. Uh, When I found our daughter sitting healthy and well in that big hole in the sand, the relief I felt was beyond words. I was just so happy in that moment. And I think that's the kind of relief that Paul feels when Timothy returns with a good news report about the Thessalonians. See, look at verse 6 of chapter 3. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. See, the Thessalonians weren't just surviving. They were thriving 
in their faith in Jesus and love for his people. So Paul continues, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. It's like Paul is saying, we have just got a new lease on life. Now we really live because we know you've been holding on to Jesus this whole time. Uh, When we found our daughter safe and sound, we all sat as a family in that giant hole, which kind of sounds funny now that I mention it like that, (laughs) and we actually just prayed. We gave thanks to God for his abundant mercy and care towards our precious child. And notice that prayer is where Paul goes in his thankfulness. It's like he falls to his knees in prayerful thanks to God. Verse 9, you see it there. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. See, because Paul loved the Thessalonians, he was utterly relieved by Timothy's news and utterly committed to returning them in order to keep encouraging them further in their faith. Uh, Paul's account of his painful separation, his overwhelming anxiety and his wonderful relief gives us, I think, a vivid picture of his deep relationship and overflowing love towards the Thessalonian believers. But as I said at the start of the talk, it's, this isn't a picture of connectedness and love that God wants us to simply nod our heads and admire. That's really good, Paul. Good on you. God actually wants us to reflect it in our community here. So you listen again to Paul's prayer at the end and note particularly again verse 12. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Like the Thessalonian church, God wants us to be a people whose love for one another increases, overflows. See, those are words you might have noticed that uh, don't suggest we should be content with a culture of love here at the 5pm that's kind of okay or even, I guess, pretty good. They are words that tell us God wants our cup of love for each other to kind of be bubbling over. He wants us to be a community marked by an interest in and care for one another that's not shallow, but deep and rich, like what we see here from Paul to the Thessalonians. Now, I suspect most of us find the idea of that kind of overflowing love and deep relationship with others in a church a challenge. Now, that can be for a variety of reasons, right? Um, Perhaps you've come from a bad church experience in the past, which means you're actually reluctant to kind of share your life or your love with other new people in a new church. Or maybe you've put yourself out there with some other people in church, but not really got much back in return. 
Or maybe you just feel like you just don't have the time or energy to invest in church relationships. Or, or maybe you just find it's just too difficult getting to know and relate to people who are just so different from you, whether in age or education or language or marital status. I actually think it's easy for church communities to feel familiar, but not necessarily like family. That is where you kind of know the faces, but not the lives. But overflowing love, like the kind we read of in this passage, it knows and cares about the lives of people. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul calls the church God's household. And households do contain families often, or housemates in many of your cases. But we are brothers and sisters in God's family. And thankfully, Jesus cares about his family members, his people, and by his spirit actually helps us grow in our love for one another. That's why Paul is directing his prayer to the Lord Jesus. As Jesus powerfully saves us through his death and resurrection, he continues by his spirit to powerfully change us to be the people he wants us to be. As we ask Jesus to help us, what are a couple of practical steps that we can take to grow in our love and our connectedness here in the 5pm service? Uh, I think it starts perhaps by uh, simply knowing people. Maybe that's actually the first step. You see, Paul knew these believers. He shared life and community with them. We know that from chapter 2, verse 8. And in genuinely knowing them, he came to genuinely love them. Now, I don't think this means that we should expect to be on best friends level with every other person here, but I do think it requires us to make an effort to actually get to know who's in our family. Uh, It's just hard to love those who you don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if you've experienced that awkward moment where you've asked someone at church whether they've visited Bundy before and the reply comes that they've been regularly attending for two years. (laughs) I'm sure some of us have had that terrible moment and hopefully it hasn't happened too much But because we don't want to be a community in which people kind of feel invisible in their church family. And so the regulars here, let me encourage you to keep getting to know your church. Uh, Maybe you could make it your goal to get to know one person you don't feel like you really know that well every month. And by the end of this year, you'd hopefully become more connected with 10 other people in your church family, and that's good because then you'll be better placed to love them thoughtfully, having got to know them. And to those of you who are newer to Bundy, uh, particularly those of you who are thinking perhaps of making our church your church, well, let me encourage you too to dig deeper into your relationship with us here as you dig deeper into your relationship with Jesus. And I think there are a few good ways you can be doing this. You can make the decision at the end of a church service to just stick around and have a chat. Always easy to take off straight after, but maybe you can make the decision to stay in chat. Or maybe in time you can make the decision to join a growth group. Or when you're invited to a social event, maybe you could take the bold step of actually going. 
And in time, it's actually helpful to think about what it might look like to use your gifts to serve here. See, these are all good ways that have helped others develop a deeper connection with and love for God's people here. We need to know each other. But I think this passage also teaches us to take the next step in our relationships of love with each other by actually taking an interest in each other's faith. How are you actually going in trusting Jesus? You see, one thing is clear throughout this passage uh, is just how much Paul cares about the spiritual well-being of the Thessalonians. Five times in this passage, he speaks of their faith. It's your faith, your faith, your faith. He's both anxious to know how it's going and then relieved when he hears that it's going well. And you see, I think love leads us to care about the faith of other people here. Most of you, I suspect, long for each other person sitting in your row of chairs to reach that heavenly goal by holding fast to Jesus. Or to use Paul's words in verse 13, to be found blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. As Ray said in the video, that is the main thing that truly matters above all. And yet I suspect asking about someone's faith in Jesus can often be a challenging thing even within Christian communities. Uh, perhaps we don't like, feel like we should be prying Perhaps we don't want to sort of take the conversation away from more of a light-hearted, sort of easy territory. But love actually demands we go there with our brothers and sisters. Uh, it's not just a pastor question. It's a Christian question. So let me encourage you again to make the other bold step of love by intentionally speaking about faith in Jesus in your conversations with each other and encouraging people to keep going. Uh, here are some ways you could perhaps work it into a, a post-church chat, for example. Uh, so how are you going faith-wise? Have you noticed a difference between this year and last year? Uh, I'm not sure if I've ever asked this, but how did you actually become a Christian? I'd love to hear that story. Are there any ways I can be praying for you and your faith this week? See, if we want to experience the goodness of overflowing love and genuine relationships, we need to know each other and we need to care about the faith of each other in increasing measure. That is what it looks like to be a community that honours the Lord Jesus. And we want to honour him for he is the one who loved us deeply He's the one who laid down his life for us. He's the one who never leaves our side. He's the one who will bring us safely to our heavenly home. We honour his love and his care towards us by our deep love and care for each other. Uh, well, following the service tonight, those of us present here in the building will have a chance to enjoy some hot chips. Surprise. Now, there are... I reckon a couple of ways you can look at hot chips. <laughs> you could look at it as just a ni another nice thing put on by the church, a moment to chill out and score some free chips. And at one level, it is actually a nice moment in which we do hope you chill out and enjoy yourself. 
But I think God's word has reminded us tonight that there's there's an even better way to view a moment, even like hot chips after church. And that is to see it as an opportunity to increase in love for and connection with your 5 p.m. family. You see, you can welcome someone new over hot chips. You can even share your testimony over hot chips. Believe it or not, you can pray with someone else over hot chips. You can go that bit deeper about the struggles and joys of your week over hot chips. And that's how hot chips becomes a delicious way of applying tonight's passage. But you see, it's actually through being intentional in these random hot chip kind of moments where we keep cultivating a genuine relationship of love that by God's grace, we will actually see our love start to increase and overflow in the beautiful way we see it here. Let's pray. A gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the reminder of how good Christ-like love is. We pray along the lines of Paul that you would make our love to increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else as we do life together as a 5 p.m. community of believers. In Jesus' name, amen.